Full Scope, a podcast with two guys in their 20s, giving their perspective on the games that we love, the headlines in pop culture, and the meaning behind it all. I'm your host, Winsor Burns, one of my counterparts, Avon Morris. How's it going, man? It's going good, bro. How's everything? It's going pretty good, man. And um, for tonight, we're joined by a special guest, um, Ivan uh, Booty Harjo, uh, who's a, a current college classmate of mine, good friend. Um, you know, we've been talking about this a couple of weeks for you to be on, but thanks for being on for the first time, man. Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited. Yeah, man, absolutely. And um, for the first half with Ivan, we're going to talk about just, you know, the finals and, and things that we're seeing from this uh, Lakers Heat series. And the second half, me and Savon are going to review uh, Collateral. But to start it off with just how the Heat match up with the Lakers, um, the Lakers beat Miami decisively in game one by 18, and AD had 34 points with LeBron, adding 25 points, 13 rebounds, and nine assists. And, you know, for Miami, a couple of their players experienced injuries and, um, Goran Dragic being diagnosed with a torn uh, plantar fascia in his left foot, and, he, and he's probably going to be out for um, a large part of the series, and he may be able to come back in the, in the latter half if the Heat are able to extend it. And uh, Bam Adebayo left in the third quarter after um, aggravating a left shoulder strain, and he's going to also be out for tonight. And um, even Jimmy Butler had a twisted left angle that he played through, and um, LeBron's teams have been 1-8 and eight in game ones of his last nine uh, finals appearances, and they just were able to win on both sides of the floor. They out, out-rebanded rebounded Miami by 18 and had 15 threes um but to you Ivan like as a Heat fan like what are your thoughts on what you just saw Miami struggle with the most in game one and what they can improve on for a pivotal game two tonight as you know they're, they're kind of undermanned yeah I mean it's really tough when you lose like two of the most important players on your team um yeah. like a, a player like Goran like he's like one of the leading scorer at playoffs and then all of your offense um, runs through Bam Adebayo and he's basically the heart and soul of the team like most of the players of the Heat um, team says that a lot even Jimmy yeah. Butler mentioned that a lot and if you see like Bam Adebayo does everything rebounds um, yeah, exactly. offense like Hanover stuff like that and that's going to be tough especially uh, with Jimmy Butler also having his ankles um, rolled in the game one so it's really hard, and so I've been watching a lot of ESPNs and stuff like that. So if Miami he want to win game two, everything has to go perfect. And I Literally. agree with all those statements from ESPN, from Stephen A., Max Kellerman, and stuff like that. Um, because first, yeah, I mean, Kendrick Nunn and um, Kelly Olenek or Myers Leonard has to really mm-hmm. step up their game. And yeah. they just have to shoot from three because, I mean, um, playing yeah, against LeBron. Playing, yeah, and like playing against LeBron and Anthony Davis, there's no way you want to play big, you know, because they, yeah. those two players are just really good and they're big. Um, and so it is hard to, you know, um, play inside the game. And, I mean, playing by like drive and um, two-pointers. You got to really play three-pointers to be able to win games but that's also tough just because like with the lakers have a lot of like good perimeter defense uh, uh players like danny green he's a really good defender yeah. as well so yeah it's it's really tough um um it's not impossible but the chances of really winning um these series um it's going to be really challenging yeah but, but with like you know miami's first six minutes Savon, in terms of just like what they were doing, um, they, they went on a 13-0 run. You know, they took a, a, a 23 to 10 lead midway through the first quarter, but throughout the game, the Lakers' size was just way too much. So, w- were you kind of shown more of what the 
he was struggled that he struggled with, or maybe more so what the Lakers were able to do just with their size and you know AD having a phenomenal performance. I think in the first when they went up the way they did, I think when you look at a the the Miami Heat team, they're coming off a great series with the Celtics. I think they had the momentum going in the first game. Then you see mm-hmm. a more veteran team adjust to what they were doing. Yes, injuries plagued them a little bit with Drogic and one of their big time players, Jimmy Butler. But you see how uh, Lakers adjusted to what they were doing. They knew what to do. They were a lot of fast breaks. They went on like three big runs. I think one was 19 and three. One was like 25 to something else. And they yeah. started hitting from the three-point line. I think coming in the bubble, they're 21st out of 22 teams. So that'll give you a synopsis of how mm-hmm. good the Lakers were behind the arc before this game. It was terrible. Yeah. So them hitting, <laughs> those those guys hitting those threes kind of really catapult them to being able to be up uh, going into halftime. But you see a veteran team. You see two guys. I told you this in the podcast last week. You told me. You told me and Ricky. <laughs> LeBron and AD are too good. Who are going to hold them? Like, we talked about who's going to hold Jimmy, who's going to hold Hero, who's going to hold those two guys. Yeah. And then what I want to know, the I want to pose this question to you guys. What happened to the, the bench that the Heat had? They were bragging about the bench they had. They mm-hmm. had a... Had guys coming off the bench that were really, really good. They didn't show up this game. So what's what's going on? You know, are they experienced? Yeah, like what, what, what were you saying is the issue for the bench? <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna pose this to the Heat, the Heat to the Heat fan. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I guess they're just nervous. Um, I mean, I mean, you're playing LeBron James and Anthony Davis, like right. as a rookie. Like imagine as a rookie, like as Duncan Robinson, Kendrick Nunn. Um, Tyler Hero, like that is kind of scary, man. That's like one of the, um, I would say that's top five, right? Best player. Yeah, I would sure. say LeBron James is still the best player in the world. No, I don't care what people say about Giannis and stuff like that, but I still believe LeBron James is still the best player in the world. And you got mm-hmm. Anthony Davis, so it is really intimidating. So as a rookie, I believe that it's going to be really nerve wracking. You know, um, when you step into that court. Like even so, I would say some of the shots that Tyler Hero hit, um, like one of the threes from the corner, like he banked it like from the corner. So I would say that's a a pretty lucky shot. And if you see Darren Robinson, like throughout throughout, the, I don't know, he played for like almost like twenty minutes, I think. Yeah. Um, he only took three shots, and um, I just that's I don't know. I probably even some of their best shooters, even some of their yeah. best shooters were just limited. And I feel like that's what the Lakers did well. They took away what the what Miami did best. Because yes. the Lakers defense, their their size, it's just for some series, and especially this one, the Miami knows they're they're gonna have no answer for AD. They've got to check with everybody else. And the Lakers, they were right. just able to completely shut down right. what Miami's right. tendencies were. Right. And then exactly. AD had three blocks as well. So he was playing great defense. Great defense, three blocks. Not, I think it was the what nine five assists nine rebounds. The guy was playing phenomenal basketball, for sure. And uh, like I said, like if you if Miami Heat really, it has to go really perfect. Like shots falling down and stuff like it. tough shots, easy shots and stuff like that. They gotta they gotta really shoot it from the three and make those shots to be able to have a chance to win the game. Yeah, and I mean early on, like Savon, would you say like? How if if the series keeps going on like how AD's playing now, he would be like the Finals MVP? Or do you think with what LeBron just does from every category, it may 
Because that's going to be a tough one. Like, if the Lakers yeah. win this series, Ivan, I know you don't want to hear that. But if they do <laughs> win this series, I mean, the AD LeBron in finals MVP is going to be, like, a big discussion. I think it's going to be like Dwayne Wade and Shaq. You know what I mean? Yeah. But this, is, I think AD will probably get the, the finals MVP. Because, I mean, LeBron James is so consistent, people overlook him, which is super crazy. But with how AD is playing on both sides of the basketball, not taking anything LeBron, AD is is on fire, man. The guy's on fire. He deserves the final MVP. They're, Lakers are going to win the series. Like, you have three pivotal guys <laughs> injured. Jimmy Butler's not 100%. Yeah. They have to shoot well from the three-point line. They have to they have to do a lot of things. I know I'm trying jumping um jumping ahead and I do, I definitely agree they have to shoot better from three point line for the rest of the series. But AD mm-hmm. definitely wins the finals MVP. The men's been playing great basketball all around front court and back court. Not LeBron has too, but they're going to give it to AD. I don't know why they do that to LeBron. It's it's so dumb. Like I don't, I don't get it. But it's the most underappreciated star ever. Ever. <laughs> one of the most underappreciated stars. Coming out of high school like, like he came out of high school and still unappreciated. Like come on man. <laughs> yeah, for, for sure. And, and transitioning to, to just who's the most important player for the Heat to have success, um, this player is going to be out for this game. But if he comes back healthy, Bam Adebayo is just is going to have a is going to have to have like a huge series, um, and, and, and had a huge presence even in the last series. And um, he's just blossomed into one of the best young bigs in the league, and he can just make plays on both ends of the floor. Um, and, and had one of the best individual plays in postseason history with his back on Jason Tatum in the conference finals mm-hmm. and has been the Heat's, you know, leading rebounder this postseason and how he can limit the Lakers' second-chance opportunities um, once he gets back is going to be key. Um, but to you, Ivan, like, who's the most important player for this Heat team to, to have success going forward? So with Bam and Goran out or with them as in, like, being healthy? Well, I mean, I don't think Goran's going to come back, but you can factor in Bam because Goran doesn't seem like he's coming back. So mm-hmm. we're probably like with yeah. Bam and everybody else. I would say um, Jimmy Butler, he mm-hmm. needs, he really needs to step up. Um, I know he's a really, I would say he's a great leader just because of trust, the amount of trust that he has for all of his teammates. But he really needs to step up and try to score. Um like you can't handle just from three point shots, of course. Like if Duncan is not hitting shots, if Tyler Hero is not hitting shots, he got to drive and you know look for some fouls. Like if you see uh, during the postseason and even throughout the season, like Jimmy Butler's points mostly or almost half comes from the free throw line, right. and he's a really good free throw shooters. And that's one thing that I think he he needs to step up with that. If because like if you're relying on three point shots all the time, it's going to be tough. Um, mm-hmm. So I would say Jimmy Butler. Um, I'm I mean he's a great passer. I mean he's he's not a point guard, but he has a good feeling of the game, and um, you've seen him make great plays. But he really need to be aggressive as well. Um, look for some points, and you know um, drive and kick and stuff like that as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, Savon, to you, like looking, for, uh, you know, looking at this Heat team, extremely depleted right now, and, and right. Bam probably will come back in Game Three. Um, just out of those players, who, who do you think like is going to be the most important for Miami to, to have success if, if they can just find some way to get back in the series? The entire roster, bro. The entire <laughs> roster. The entire roster. They're yeah. gonna have to. They're gonna have to play 
perfect basketball. Ivan said it. They have to play perfect basketball. They're going to have to shoot really well from three-point line. They're going to have to trap LeBron James. When AD sits and LeBron's on the court by himself, trap LeBron. LeBron is, is pretty good under pressure, but if you trap him, he's going to make a mistake. He has a lot of turnovers in his career from forcing a ball and trying to make a play. Trap him. Do, like You have to hit for the three-point line. You have to trap LeBron, and you have to play perfect basketball. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, the entire sure. team has to be on their P's and Q's. Jay Crowder has to play better on the defensive side. He needs to start hitting threes. Hero, this is your moment. You had a great series with the Celtics. What can you do? What This is your moment. Everybody's saying you're the next, the next big thing. This is your moment. So the entire yeah. team, the entire organization – they have to step up for this series, or they're going to be looking real crazy when they, they get swept 4-0. <laughs> Hopefully that doesn't happen, Honestly. Honestly. <laughs> oh, I'm Charles Barkley, man. I yeah, I guarantee. And, I mean, overall, like, when you look at what the Heat have in terms of just, like, their, 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 their strong defensive presence they usually have, um, and what they were able to do in the East and then now facing this Lakers team. Like, to you, Ivan, do you think it may be, like, if the Heat aren't, you know, aren't able to have success in this series, do you think it's one of those things where they, like, the teams that they faced in the East were just, they were better equipped to go against and this Lakers team was just, you know, too too tall of a task? Um, I mean, I guess, um, like, I mean, the Miami Heat... It is surprising, right? Um, I mean, people say always, like, the Miami shouldn't be here. The Miami shouldn't be in the NBA Finals. Yeah. Um, but, um, again, like, the West is always really competitive. And, yeah, it's always loaded. Yeah, it's always competitive. And and with what you said, like, I agree. Like, I mean, if even if the Miami Heat didn't make it, like, do you think the, if, let's say, the Celtics or the Bucks made it to the NBA finals. I think it's like I still believe that the Lakers would still win win the series and it wouldn't be like a game six or a game seven. I mean a game six, yeah, but I mean I think the Boston league. series, like Savon, you said that you, you you thought the Boston was gonna come back. The Boston series may have been more competitive. <laughs> it may have been more competitive. I don't know. Maybe it's early to say. <laughs> you know what, man? The Miami hasn't played in the bubble since the, the postseason start. They haven't played a veteran team yet. Yeah. The Lakers are a veteran team who knows how to adjust. They have a great leader in LeBron James. You look at the Indiana, Indiana Pacers, not a veteran team. Milwaukee, they still have some young guys, still They'll not a veteran team. Mm-hmm. Austin's mm-hmm. still a young, young team with Tatum and Brown. Mm-hmm. And I know Kimmel's been in the league still, but he hasn't taste postseason until that year. So it's yeah. a lot of, you know, not a, a lot of veteran guys they played against. Now they're playing against a veteran guy in the Lakers. Then they have injuries. So it's a lot of things going wrong for them. What can you do? But I still, I thought the Celtics was going to pull it off. Tatum had a crazy game the, the mm. day before, and then they just didn't pull it off. They just, they got cold the third quarter. <laughs> it got really cold. It messed up my whole thing, man. Like, like Your whole theory. <laughs> whole theory. That would have been a great, like if they would have came back and won, I think it would have been a better series with the Celtics in there to me, matchup wise, matchup wise. But yeah, yeah, definitely. And and, and after listening to, to just thoughts on who could be the X factor in this finals, 
Um, you know, for, for me, Iguodala, like he's always that veteran presence that is going to be key in certain defensive situations. You know, um, it's extremely easy to miss from looking at the box score, what his impact is and, and how he's been able to defend LeBron in the past, you know, it goes along with that too. And this is his sixth consecutive year in the finals and no defender has guarded James in the playoffs uh, more than Iguodala. And since the 2015 finals, um, he's held him to 44% shooting on 139 field goal attempts. Um, but to you, Ivan, like, who do you think could be the X factor in this finals um, uh, for Miami or even the Lakers, just from what from, from what you uh, from what you saw in Game One? Um, I mean, for the Lakers, you got LeBron and Anthony Davis. That they're probably the X factor of the team, obviously. Um, for the Miami Heat, like Savon said, like it's the entire roster. I couldn't say one person just because, like. They're that good, you know, as much mm-hmm, as yeah, I love sure. the Miami Heat, but real- realistically, like the Lakers, they're that good. Even mm-hmm. like the bench, like they're that good. And so I don't know, man. I I cannot give you an exact answer who's going to be the X factor for the Miami Heat, but it's going to be the entire team. Like Savan said, like Andre Godala yeah. got to step up on D. Um, on the offense, Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, Jay Crowder, Kelly Olenek, everybody has to really play really, really, really well, not turning um, the ball over, not making stupid passes. Um, um, and they just got a really, really, it has to be a really perfect game. So it's tough um, to choose who's going to be the X factor um, for the Miami Heat to win, win the game or win the series. Yeah, definitely. Um, Savon, to you, like, is there is there any X factor that you could see in this series, or is it one of those things where you feel like it may just be a collective thing for either team? No, you know what? For for this purposes, we all know AD and LeBron James are the X factors for Lakers. The X factors mm-hmm. for the Miami Heat is Tyler Hero. The guy oh, yeah. has to mm-hmm. go off. You have thirty seven, what thirty seven points to yeah. end the series in Celt- with the Celtics. He went, what, six for 18 for the field goal, two for eight for the three-point line, and he missed one free throw. You have to be the guy. Jimmy is injured. Bam is, is out. Drogic is out this game. You got to step up. This is your moment. This is why they drafted you. This is why you have the hype. So if he could go 37 points, if he goes off the night, it's going to be a good game. Will they win? I'm not sure because we don't know how healthy yeah. Jimmy Butler is. You know, physically, he might be at an 80 to 70 percent, but a Tyler Hero goes off and he, he he goes off like he did against the Celtics with 37 points. And he paid play big minutes in 35 minutes. They have a chance. If he doesn't, then I don't see anybody else stepping up outside of Jimmy Butler with two of their big best guys injured out for this game. So it got to be Tyler Hero. Yeah, for sure. And, 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 and now just need to, to just. Jimmy, Jimmy Butler's impact and why he fits so well into Miami's overall culture. Um, you know, he's been with three teams in the last two years, and there's always, you know, just been a personality clash he's had with teams like Chicago, Minnesota, and Philadelphia. And um, the style that that's best suited for him and how he's clashed with coaches in the past go along with him um, just being frustrated with players not matching his intensity. But um, now he has that with Miami as their organizational structure is filled with guys in the past like um, Dwayne Wade, Alonzo Mourning, and Udonis Haslam. Um, but Ivan, like, what what are your thoughts on how he's fit into the Heat culture, personifying the Heat way, and and why to you this has kind of been a perfect fit? Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, like he said, like in all of 
like a lot of interviews, like Jimmy Butler himself says that I'm not for everybody. And that is true. Like um, he's a really, you know, um, a straightforward guy. And I mean, in this generation, um, I don't think a lot of players can really take that, you know, um, especially if you're like a new, let's say, um, cause he was traded to the Sixers and then coming in and, um, he said that he didn't know who's, who's in charge. And so he's a really strong personality guy. I mean, if you see from the background, how he went uh, from homeless to becoming an NBA, um, yeah. star, um, that's something that made him that way, you know? And when it comes to the Miami Heat, they have always been that way. Even you see, like, from the president, which is Pat Riley, um, you see it from the top. It's just, I don't know, it's just like a match made in heaven, I guess. Um, Like, it just fits so well. And I just love, that's why I love the Miami Heat, just not because of the players. Um, When I first uh, became a fan, it was because of Dwayne Wade. But I watch a lot of like their documentaries and just how they approach the game. And um, I just love the organization by itself and adding Jimmy Butler, which really fits the, I would say, the f- vision and mission of the organization. Um, it really is just um, perfect, I guess, for, for him to be in the Miami Heat. So, yeah. Definitely. And, and um, he also said, quote, I put so much into this game and I only play to win. I don't play for individual stats or accolades and and at times I get lost in how everybody is not built the way I'm built end quote and um you know from Pat Riley to Andy Ellsberg to Eric Spolstra they just all share his philosophy and and he's you know felt mi- misunderstood many times in his career um but he's just you know with how much success he's had um in Miami um Savon to you has it surprised you or was it one of those things where you could just tell like like minds would prevail and find the success that, that um they've been looking for recently this, I mean, we we all knew, knew Jimmy Butler was a baller, man, coming out from Chicago. And then when you go to those two teams, they'll have the same mindset because he was he was birthed and grew like he was groomed in Chicago a certain way. So he's thinking every basketball team's the same way, have the same mindset. It's not that you know yeah. we see that when he was with the Timberwolves, we see the same mindset when he was with the Seventy Sixers. Now you have an organization who's used to winning. Yeah that used to going to the playoffs, used to going to the NBA finals and winning championships, they have that dog mentality. Now he's at home. I think that's why he chose it. Of course, they they drafted well and then they have the the pieces to, you know, allure him to come. But I think he was like, well, even if they don't have the pieces, I know they want to win. They'll do anything necessary to win. Pat Riley is one of those guys. That's why he got uh, LeBron to come down. That's why he got D-Wade to come. Chris Bosh, this goes on. And that's why he he keeps Giannis Haslam on the payroll. <laughs> he's a he's a good star, man. So yeah, man, I think he he feels at home. He feels like everyone has that same mentality. Um, yeah. So yeah, with the other two teams outside of Chicago, they didn't have the same mentality we did, and it showed. Yeah, and 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 before we wrap it up, Ivan, like overall in this finals, obviously LeBron was a part of the big three run, and you know he he leaves in 2014, and, and Pat Riley had that, you know talk with him about, you know, you just can't walk out after you lose, you know, you, you got to come back, got to make another run. Um, But to you, like, in terms of just like how LeBron left and what's happened, like, you know, there've been reports that Miami has been waiting for this moment to, to face him in the finals. Like to you, is it one of those things where Miami has been waiting for this moment or was it just like, there was kind of a dislike in how he left and how quick he left after, you know, they lost to the Spurs that, that second year, I mean, that fourth year. Um, I mean, 
if you think like as an organization, of course you want to win every year, each year, each season. Yeah. Um, but when LeBron James left, I mean, that's that's you know that, and then Chris Bosh, um, with us, he got sick, right? Um, yeah. and that was a really big loss. And I know, like, it's probably Pat Riley thinking, like, okay, it's gonna be a rebuild. So from that point, and Dwayne Wade is not at his peak anymore. Um, even when he was teaming with when LeBron was still in the Heat, like I don't think Dwayne Wade was at his peak. Um, he was a really good player, but he wasn't at yeah. his peak. That's why he really agree. gave the team to LeBron James. That's why he said, "This is your team, man. You got to take the lead." And that's when um, the Miami started winning because with the first finals, they lost to the Dallas Mavericks. Like yeah. they're not a, really a good superstar team, not l- filled with a lot of superstar. They were a good team. But, like, on top of paper, the Miami Heat should have won. Mm-hmm. But um, sure. after that game, when Dwayne really gave the team to, okay, LeBron James, you got to be the leader of this team um, and let the team in, won back-to-back championship. And when LeBron left, it's like you're losing one of your um, – of course, you're losing one of the greatest players um, in the NBA. Um, mm-hmm. And then from that point, you know it's going to be a rebuild. So – and now they're getting back into the finals. And I believe this is not their end goal. Because we're I know like most, probably 90% um, the Miami were going to lose for this season. But I'm really excited for the next upcoming season. What um, what moves are Miami going to make? What are yeah. the decisions that Pat Riley is going to make? Moves. Yeah, and it's just... It's, this is just the start, man. This is yeah. just the beginning. Like, if you see the roster, everyone's like an, an underdog. Like, mm-hmm. you see Bam Adebayo, you see um, Dr. Robinson, who was um, a D3 college player, I believe, right? Um, and so this is just a start for Brett Riley. So we'll see how it goes for the next couple of seasons. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, and, and Savon, uh, to, to close the to close this part out, like with how LeBron left, and then what even what Pat Riley said, like, do you think it's one of those things where unbeknownst, like, it's kind of an unspoken thing. Pat Riley really wants this, and LeBron wants this for reasons of just you know, there's still some you know unwritten animosity, or do you think it's one of those things where just LeBron had to make a decision that was best for him and Miami's you know kind of adjusted to, to going on without him? For sure, I think Ivan said it the best, like. The last series with the Spurs, you see how LeBron went out. Like the first game, he cramped. It was because the, the AC was like shy. It was super hot in there, and it was like you should have played. Has anybody ever caught a cramp in your legs? You can't move. You can't do anything. So, and then D Wade was out that series. Chris Bosh wasn't wasn't a present in that series. He had nobody else. Mario Chalmers wasn't groom. He was grooming, but he still hadn't reached his peak. Yadavis Hasman wasn't. It wasn't a big factor. So he was thinking like. If Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh are not the guys, they're not completely healthy because Dwayne Wade was not at his peak. Like, I'm going to leave. Like, I, I better, I can create something better here and go back to the Cavaliers and get them a, you know, get them a. So I don't know if Pat Riley still has some animosity or not. You just know that it was a best, it was a business decision because a lot of these organizations do business decisions, doesn't care about the players' feelings. You look at uh, Isaiah Thomas, a perfect example. He was so loyal to the Celtics, then they just, yeah. So I think it was a great business decision for LeBron James to lead the Heat, just looking at the longevity. It wasn't. Chris Bosh had to retire. Dwayne Wade fizzled out a little bit, and he came back the last two years. And, uh, yeah, I think it was a great yeah. business decision. I don't know if Pat Riley has a lot of animosity towards that, 
But he, I mean, he got you two rings. They still had a great four year run. I mean, overall, right. with what they were doing, they had sure. a great four year run. Um, well, Ivan, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on this time. And thank you so much for, for being on for this one. Oh, man. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Well, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with our collateral review. Welcome back to the show, and now we're getting into our Collateral Review. And to start with the overview, Collateral is a 2004 American neo-noir action thriller film directed and produced by Michael Mann from a script by Stuart uh, Beatty, starring Tom Cruise, Jamie Foxx, Jada Pinkett-Smith, Mark Ruffalo, Peter Burke, Javier Bardem, and Bruce McGill. It follows Max, a Los Angeles cab driver, and his customer, Vincent. Um, when offered a high fare for driving to, to several locations, Max agrees, but soon, soon finds himself taken hostage by Vincent, who turns out to be a hitman on a contract killing spree it had a budget of 65 million and accumulated 220.9 million in the box office had an 80%, 86% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, Collateral was chosen by the National Board of Review as one of the top 10 films of 2004. At the 77th Academy Award, Jamie Foxx received a nomination for Best Supporting Actor, while film, film editors Jim Miller and Paul uh, Rubula were nominated for Best Film Editing. And whenever you have a Michael um, a Mann film, even, you know, with what we saw in Heat, there's just trademark visuals. Um, it's another LA-based film, and Tom Cruise gave a very effective um, villainous performance, and this was just a stylish, um, compelling type of thriller. And Jamie, Fe Jamie Foxx met this role as the man so well, conveyed fear, but still imported um, exhaustion and recklessness that just follows the type of night he had. But what were your initial thoughts of this film and just the two star-studded uh, performances from, from Jamie Foxx and, and Tom Cruise? It was a subtle film. Like, I, I love how they, the, I always say this, but I love when movies have the character development and they do it in such a mm -hmm. uh, a great way and it flows well. Like, you get, like, Jamie Foxx character, who is Max, like, you get, like, who he is quick as possible and they give you the mm -hmm. background to where it's not force-feeding you, but it's, like, presents it well. Like, I love that. It was a subtle, like, it, it started subtle and then it just went, what? is going on here like yo he's crazy so I, I love how they you know implemented things and it flowed well and then they, the character development with max yo that i really because you know a lot of people that's relatable a lot of people you know you know say they have dreams and they're at the same job for like 50 years, 50 years. <laughs> so like it was a very relatable uh character i think that was what like the, the biggest thing not like yeah Think it was definitely relatable and then like it was super smooth it was subtle how everything really kind of led up to like the the big parts yeah for sure and a lot of people viewed this as you know one of tom cruise's underrated films um you know obviously he's, he's had some classics like a, a few good men the, the, the mission impossible series we all right. know him for and just how he's able to to delve in, in, into different roles you know jerry mcguire um for from you just from what you saw in this performance and what he did like does it, in terms of when you think of Tom Cruise, there are certain films you think of. Is this one of the ones that, that kind of comes to your mind when you think of what he's done in his career? Oh, for sure. Because it was like, we're so used to Tom Cruise. Like, in his early career, he played, like, a, a plethora of roles. And I think this one, one is, like, his most mysterious roles, you know, because he didn't, he, didn't, he didn't talk a lot in this movie. I feel like, I think it was more of his actions, the way he moved, the way he killed people as well, <laughs> the way he, like... You know, he stole the scene yeah. by his looks. Like, he had this certain look that he does in his movie. 
I think this is one of the one of his best films where it was just like he didn't have to have a lot of dialogue and monologue to be able to bring the character to life. I think it was more of action, the way he moved, the way he, the way his shoulders, like he just, you know, his his whole demeanor. So I think it's definitely one of one of his greater films where he didn't have to have a lot of dialogue. Cause mm-hmm. you look at um What's the movie? He no, it was a pilot. Um, jeez. Oh, they they're making oh, another Gun. one. Top Gun. Top Gun was like yeah. when he was younger. It was a lot of talking. He didn't like, but like he wasn't like really the the good actor yet. It was just like he was just young. He's you know he yeah. fit the role perfectly. But this role, it was just like he was mysterious. His demeanor said it all. I think it's just like um, yeah. Where he, you know how the they. Yeah, well, Pacino and De Niro, they don't really have to say much. It's just how they yeah. present the character. There were some Which similarities in this film from 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 that one. And it's just For like you sure. can see what, what Tom Cruise was doing with not saying as much, but just giving off a certain demeanor that that said a lot. Right. And I totally agree. And it like he played this role perfectly. I don't I couldn't see anybody else playing this role like the way he did. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and transitioning um, to our, for our first topic from One to Four Stars, what would you give it? Um, I, I would give it four because this film still holds up, visually striking. And I think the direction, mm-hmm. which was, was brilliant, just made something as common as a taxi ride into a pulse-pounding thriller. Um, but from your perspective, from One to Four Stars, what would you give it? Definitely four stars. Jamie Foxx, like, it's so funny. Jamie Foxx auditioned for um, Jerry Maguire. And then he get the role because he was like, he felt like he was intimidated by Tom. Tom was Tom. He didn't get the role. So now he finally got a role in a movie with Tom Cruise and he killed it. Killed it, like, man. He killed this role. Like This is one of my favorite Jamie Foxx performances. For sure. And we really get a like an insight because, you know, Jamie Foxx was the comedian. Now he's playing a serious role and we get to see how good of an actor he is. He doesn't get a lot of... A lot of praise enough, in my opinion. Not enough credit. But this film really kind of like gave you like, oh, Jamie Foxx is more than just a, a you know, because he played in movies like uh, Bait, um, yeah. In a Given Sunday, like funny movies, but this is where more serious role, like, you know what I mean? And that's the thing. Maybe because do you think it's one of those things where we're just so used to seeing him like in a lighthearted manner, just entertaining, uh, entertaining us and making us laugh that when, he, when we get to a serious role, People just can't give him like the certain acclaim that he really deserves. Because we even saw it in Ray. Like Jamie Foxx is a really good actor once he's put in the right type of roles. Right, and it's like even with Django, like he played a he yeah, played phenomenal in Django. And I think once I, the transition from being a comedian into a real role, a lot of actors don't do it. Kevin Hart is another another comedian slash actor who did it right. The upside down or the upside or something like that, where he was like the caregiver. Mm-hmm. What yeah. a role, Kevin Hart! Crazy role, crazy role. He didn't do too much. He, he oh, it was such a good role. Like some of the movies, Kevin Hart man, I was like, okay, whatever. But that <laughs> role really made me think. Okay, Kevin Hart is a serious actor. Same thing with Jamie Foxx. This movie really gave us an insight of what Jamie Foxx could do, and it kind of got him prepared for Ray. I think that's what, I mean, he looks exactly yeah. like him, but I think that was like, okay, maybe we can can't take a chance because he's played serious roles before. You know what I mean? So it was a tone setter. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And uh, now transitioning to, to favorite character. Um, for, for me, it was Max as he just really served as a, as a mirror for Vincent, you know, almost a tourist in his own life and having um, an abundance of 
the elements Vincent lacks and um him being a cab driver is really the irony as he just can't get as he can get anyone anywhere they want to go except for himself and overall you know Jamie Foxx's Max gives you know each scene the exact amount of whatever um it needs but to you uh who's your overall favorite character Vincent man Mm. Vincent was I feel like he was like a modern day joker in Mm. a sense because I think when you look at he was like he really cared he had like the morals like he was like especially when he was like you see any, like the, the guy died on the, the subway somebody died on somebody nobody noticed it for like forever oh what you think anybody noticed it or he was like oh you got a you want a limousine sir how much you got saved like he felt like he, you can feel like he cared about people but he also was this bad guy like he turned into like he he may have started as the good guy and then turned into the bad guy but he still has that like that moral sense. Cause the Joker, when it comes to Harley Quinn, he still had that love for her, but it was like a terrible relationship type thing. So that's why I referenced them two together. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I thought, I mean, Vincent was a great character. Vincent, yeah. really, that's what kind of sold me on him. Like he was like, why is he asking all these questions? Like he feel like he's like, he cares about people, but he's like, you killing people. Just do somebody out the window. Like, yeah. Isn't that like an But yeah. Max, but like, stop Vincent, killing people. Right. You, you're asking about people's day and stuff like that. You, like, come on, man. Like, it's yeah. just like, you're balancing that. But yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and now transitioning to um most memorable scene of the movie, um, I had a Nobody Notices where just, you know, through sheer happenstance, Max picks up a, a, a mysterious stranger and Vincent. Um, bullets in the fall, Max finds himself in an unwanted partnership with Vincent, witnessing the first kill of the night that he saw, um, pulled over where the tension rises as Max tries to walk uh, his way out of a jam once the police pull him over. Um, that's my briefcase, um, where a pair of street thugs meet their violent in, violent in at the hands of Vincent. Uh, one question away, where Vincent gives Daniel, um, played by Barry Shabaka Henley, one shot to avoid his fate. Max's new friend, um, Vincent, meets his Max's mother in the hospital. She's given fl- flowers. Um, Max takes action where Max steals Vincent's briefcase in an attempt um, to disrupt the assassin's plans. Then finally, think anybody will notice where Max and Vincent have their final showdown on board um, a speeding subway train. T- to you, what was kind of your most memorable scene of this film? I think when you first, like, because the scene where you first, like, saw Vincent kill somebody, because it was just like, oh, he's a normal guy. He's asking me how much I save. He asked me about my limousine service. He's saying, he's like, you know, nobody noticed people who dies, yada, yada, yada. He was like, oh, I got a cool, a yeah. cool $600, maybe $700. And then all of a sudden, somebody fired somebody out the window. <laughs> His <laughs> reaction. That's the best scene. I mean, you all right? <laughs> this is going to be a breeze. He's <laughs> $700 for one night. And he knows his boss doesn't like him taking one fair at night. So he was like, man, I'm about to make over a fat rat. This is going to go to my savings. Yeah, okay. Boom. <laughs> that was my favorite scene. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and now you're sending to some most memorable quote. Um, I can't drive you around while you're, while you're killing folks. It's not my job from Max. Take comfort in knowing you never had a choice from Vincent. Um, another one from Vincent. Millions of galaxies of hundreds of millions of stars in a speck on one in a blink. That's us lost in space. The cop, you, me, um, who notices. Um, uh, if I'm wrong, you get an apology. I already used up my free ride for, for tonight from Max. Um, well, how many cabbies do you know get, in, get you into an argument to save your, uh, to save your money from, um, from Annie? And then finally, just when I thought you were a cool guy um, from Daniel and then uh, Vincent says, I am a cool guy with a job I, I can track it to do. Um, what, what was kind of your most memorable uh, quote from this one? 
the conversation that him and Vincent had, it was like um, talking about their parents and, and their mom or whatever. And he was like, because it gave you like a perspective on why he was the way he is. Like he had the empathy, but also he was a killer. He was like, everything, um, what about your father? Hated everything I did, got drunk, beat me up, in and out of foster homes, that kind of thing. And then Max said, and then I killed him. I was 12. Man. Then he laughs. What? Hold up, wait, dude, you gotta go. You gotta, <laughs> you gotta go. <laughs> you got this car you gotta now. go. And he was like, I'm kidding. He died of a liver disease. He was like, Well, I'm sorry. He's like, No, you're not. That was that whole conversation was like really Yo, dope. Crazy. Yeah, that was that was a dope conversation. Yeah, for sure. And, and um mentioning to two, what did you like the most about the storyline? Um, you know, how two opposites were placed against each other physically and, and thematically, and, and Max and Vincent. Just as we saw in, in Heat with um, Al Pacino and Robert De Niro, just an you know an intimate epic, um, but there's this slope that that they both are able to navigate so well. And, and you know, added on to what did you like the most about the storyline? We see like this is the second Michael Mann film that we've reviewed, and sometimes you just see similarities in what they've done in the past. Like, um, in, in addition to what did you like most about the storyline, how much can you tell like when a director is just able to take elements that he's done from another film and add it into a newer one? You know, he does it well. I think he uses uh, monologue with the, the main characters really, really well. And you see that with just the conversation I just mentioned earlier about the favorite quotes. Like, he implements the human side of things, you know? I think that's what is, is like, his biggest thing. Like, he's the scenery is really dope, and it, it really tells the story as well. But, like the monologue and the care, like the human side of things. Like, yes, this is what they do, but this is not who they are. Right. You know, the guy is like when, when Max, he says he wants these things, but he knows he can't accomplish it because he's like, he's incompetent. Max, you know, uh, Vincent is this guy who kills people, but also has his empathy towards people and, and, and things. So it's just like the human side of everything. So I think he implements that really, really well when it comes to the development of the characters and the monologue of the, the, the main characters. And you see that in each scene where they have that monologue and dialogue. Yeah, absolutely. And, and after listening to um, our last topic, 10 years from now, do you still think it'll be watchable and, and intriguing? Um, I, I definitely think it will as this film just goes beyond its genre um, to relay a deeper message specifically about the human condition and why you know people are, are the way they are the dialogue and the, and the setting's excellent just as it is um, in, in any Michael Mann crime thriller. And it just goes above and beyond the cliches. And it's um, just so original in its own right and deserves, you know, multiple viewings to be fully appreciated. Um, but from your perspective, 10 years from now, um, what in particular do you think this will, will make this watchable and intriguing? Because like, to me, this is a film you just can't watch one time to fully appreciate it. You're going to have to have, as I was just saying earlier, multiple viewings to really like take in everything that happened and just the subtlety of the dialogue. I think that's it. Like the the human the human side that he does in every film that he like he he implements that so well in the monologue. Like I was telling about heat like the 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 scenes like the last scene the, like the the ch car chases and all that stuff were really good, but the monologues made it. That's what you remember the most. Like I remember Vincent saying like I'm in and out of foster homes. Like, my dad hated me. My mom died when I was younger. I remember the human side of it. Like, this is why the way... This is 
this kind of like cause and effect the way he is now as an adult and why he does it, does the such things. And you get that by the monologue and it's not forced. Yeah. It's, it's just feels right. It's just, it makes you like, it's relatable. So the monologue is what I remember the most. Seriously. The, the action scenes are really dope, but when it comes to man, it's like his monologue. It's like really spot on every single time he in this one. Yeah, absolutely. And, and before we wrap it up, like, you know, there was even a, a cameo appearance from Jason Statham. You know, Jada Pinkett Smith was in there for, for, for the beginning scene. Mark Ruffalo was in it. Like, in terms of just another character that really, like, you felt as though, even if it was for a brief moment, just had, like, a really, like, good impact of this film outside of Tom Cruise and Jamie Foxx. So, like, would there be any particular one? Hmm... You know what? I haven't even thought about that. That's a good question. Because Jamie and Tom have played so good. They it's really like, dominated the film. It might be Mark Ruffalo. I think for plot yeah. purposes, it was Mark Ruffalo. I think Jada's. I think Jada's character really didn't like. I don't know. It wasn't as important as as a fanning, but um, just for like that purposes of just like according to the cabs coming to this bad unit he's been driving that cab for 12 years so what so you tell me the guy walks into a phone booth and shazam changed into a meat eater super saiyan super assassin so it's just like it his his character wasn't super necessary yeah it was definitely necessary for the plot and plot twists and stuff like that so i think jada's character was okay but for for fanning um i think it was yeah spot it needed to be uh put in there so everything flows well but yeah, I think Mark Ruffalo. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's one of the things where when you because like we look in Heat, Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, they kind of dominated the film. There were there were more characters, I think, and outside characters, I think, in that one that had a bigger role into it, even what Val Kilmer, uh, Kilmer was able to do. Um, Ashley Judd as well for this film. It just and it's not a bad thing. But there are certain films I think you can tell these are the two guys, Tom Cruise and Jamie Foxx, they're going to carry this film. Then outside of that. There may be a couple ones, but you're good. You're from this one. I mainly remember Tom Cruise and Jamie, Jamie Foxx. That's who I like specifically remember, and I think that's kind of the balance that Michael Mann had because he knew for this one he was gonna have to rely on his top two ones. As you were saying earlier, I, w- was there anybody else you think you could maybe even even have seen Jamie Fox Fox's role go to? Because I, I really feel as though these top two were just the perfect type of um, you know balance for for the other. Um, like. Hmm. No, I know one. Yeah. Somebody like when we were talking, I like probably years ago. They said Denzel would have been a good role. I was like, nah. Mm, I couldn't see him in this. Nah, no, I don't think Denzel would have been. <laughs> Maybe um. Nah. Uh, what's his name? Played in Iron Man. Played in um. Ocean's Eleven. Don Cheeto. Don Cheeto, possibly. Yeah. Don Cheeto, possibly. possibly. I think would have did a good role played a good role but it wouldn't have been as prolific as Jamie Foxx though yeah absolutely well that wraps it up for tonight I'm your host Wayne Burns, and my counterpart Savon Morris this has been Full Scope see you later